Lynn, for sharing that. Uh, that was actually just something I was dwelling on last night. There's a prophecy in the book of Zechariah where someone comes to Jesus and says, what are those nail prints? What, what are those wounds? And the response of Jesus is, these were the wounds that were given to me in the house of my friends. Wow. Whoa. That Jesus would still call us friends after we inflict these infinite wounds. Um, we will be able to reflect on that all, throughout all eternity. And if we don't have something to be thankful for yet, remember <laughs> that Jesus has paid it all. Yeah. Amen. Uh, this morning, we are going into part three of our, of our series called Contagious Christianity. And it's kind of ironic, um, you know, it's, it's this, this season where contagious uh, sickness <laughs> and colds and stomach viruses and all these kinds of nasty things are going around. Um, we're not saying that Christianity is something you want to ward off, no. What we are saying is that Christianity, a walk with Jesus that is true and genuine, is going to inspire, it's going to influence, it's going to impact the people that you're around. Can you say amen? Yeah? And while you do that, maybe say a prayer for my family. Um, I'm without my better half today. <laughs> she is uh, out sick with just the stomach virus, and Jaden has it too, and so they're taking care of each other today. So, <laughs> but pray for them. And, um, you know, as we dig into this study, I want us to recognize, you know, we've kind of been talking about part one and part two, you know, what it is to be contagious in the first place. Because we can talk about how to, how to be contagious as far as how to impact and how to spread your influence and things like that. But at first, it's a matter of becoming a contagious person, right? Um, so before talking about best practices, we're talking about becoming contagious persons. And so part one, we talked about being, if you want to be contagious, be thoroughly converted. You remember that? Looked at the story of Peter and how, you know, it was when Jesus says, once you are converted, then strengthen your brethren. Do you remember that? It wasn't until he was converted, truly broken at the foot of the cross, that he could really be a contagious person. So want to be contagious? Be thoroughly converted. Want to be contagious? Last week we said, be thoroughly committed. Be thoroughly committed. Because salt loses its flavor when it doesn't forsake all, right? Salt loses its flavor when we live uh, in willful rebellion, and that's really an offensive life to those around us. And so today, part three, want to be contagious. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But um, I want us to bow our heads together as we pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are seeking the power of your spirit. Not just for the sake of a temporal thrill, but for the sake of seeing Jesus. Lord, you said that when your spirit comes, he would guide us into all truth. And truth is more than just a proposition, God. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And so please guide us to Jesus today. Amen. We're praying, Father, for uh, the burdens that are on each and every one of our hearts. Lord, as that song was saying, maybe there are scars that we are totally weighed down by. Wounds that have been inflicted over the past week, month, or more. And Lord, we just pray that... Uh, at Calvary, our burdens would be lifted. And so thank you for this opportunity. We're, we're wanting to open up this book. And we're wanting you to speak life to us, just as you did long ago when there was darkness and you said, let there be light. Lord, we want to hear your word. 
So thank you in advance for what you're going to say and speak and do, because we pray in Jesus' name. Let the family say, amen, amen. Contagious Christianity, part three, the face of change. We're going to the Gospel of Matthew. This is our, our launching point for this, uh, this series. Matthew chapter 5. Now I want us to recognize that, you know, we're talking about contagious Christianity, because, and this is very intentional as far as its timing, because whether you know it or not, um, this church seeks to be a light to the world. Amen? Um, we have set, as far as leadership and ministry leadership goes, we've set some solid plans in order to build bridges with the community, in order to, to be a blessing to people who are outside of Christ. And that's a good thing, amen? Because salt isn't to be kept in a salt shaker, and light isn't to be hid under a bushel, okay? And so just some things that I want us to be aware of as we get our study going. You know, um, Brooke was talking about spiritual friends training. If you haven't marked your calendar yet, go ahead and, and do so. Get your phone out or whatever and just say, okay, December 4, December 11, I need to be there. Amen? Maybe you don't realize it yet or not. <laughs> um, you need to be there. <laughs> okay. I need to be there. Why? Because we can be friendly, but that's not being spiritual friends, okay? We can, we can make people feel warm and fuzzy, but that's not going to make a difference in the scheme of eternity, okay? And so we're wanting to know, how can we be spiritual friends, all right? And that's for members, ministers, ministry leaders, all who seek to be contagious Christians. Amen. All right, so mark it, December 4, December 11, a two-part training seminar. Uh, and that's really leading up to so several things. We've got some holiday outreach planned. The Children's Choir is going to go Christmas caroling on, on the Sundays in December before Christmas, right? They're going to take out Glow with them. And they don't, they're not picky about just being Children's Choir. You can come too, all right? <laughs> yeah, so that, that'll be on Sundays. And then in January and February, our health committee is actually planning an eight weeks to wellness eight weeks to wellness, opening it up to the community. Hey, how can we live healthful lives? You know, health isn't everything, but without health, everything is nothing. You see the truth in that? Yeah. Without health, everything is nothing. And so eight weeks to wellness, that's coming up, and that's leading straight into February, which on February 20, we are opening up a two-week seminar called Discover Prophecy, Hope, Truth, Life. All right? We're going to discover prophecies, hope. We're going to discover prophecies, truth. Discover Prophecy's life. And that's something that, that we really want to, to build bridges with the community. So this is all intentional, all leading up, and all best practices, contagious practices. But first, how do we be contagious persons? Okay, we're here. Matthew chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Friends, you and I live an unhideable life. When you follow Jesus, you live an unhideable life. Why? So that you can be seen? No, no, no. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Nor do they set, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the result, the impact of your bearing light to the world is glory to the name of Jesus. This, this light is not so that people can be wowed by our charm. This light is to give glory to God. 
So question today, as we kind of get into our study, question is this, what is that light? What is that light? When, when you think about the Bible metaphor of light, you know, it's strewn all throughout scripture. Maybe you think of that verse, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God's word is a light. God's word, as it is, as it's a revelation of God himself. How about John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where it's talking about Jesus. And it says, in him was life, and that life was what? The light of men. So whatever this light is, this revelation of truth, it's actually life-giving light. It's life-giving light. And so let's, let's consider this even more how is it that this life, this revelation of truth, could possibly give life? Actually, one definitive passage we're going to go to right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Can you find that with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you're in Matthew, just go to the right. All right, you're going to pass Mark, Luke, John, etc. After you pass Acts and Romans, then you'll get into the Corinthians. 1 and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and when you've found it, you can say, I've found it. If you notice that a neighbor of yours needs some help, go ahead and kindly help him out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is a letter from Paul, and Paul is, uh, he's got several things on his agenda as he's writing to the church in Corinth for the second time. He's uh, wanting to clarify some things. He's wanting to clarify his ministry. He's also wanting to clarify something about the character of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 3. And what we're looking for is what in Paul's mind is this light that you and I bear to the world, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, reading from the New King James, the Bible says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Those who are perishing or those who are lost. Okay, so he's talking about uh, being somewhat in the dark. Now, verse 4 says this whose minds the God of this age, speaking of the devil, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Are you seeing the great controversy in this? Yeah? Hey, there is light, and according to the verse 4, it's light of the gospel. That is good news of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God, should shine on them. So Satan is trying to, to cloak, to, sh to shadow, to darken this revelation. Now go down to, well, let's keep reading, verse 5 and verse 6. For we do not preach ourselves, okay, again, it's not about human glory, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now notice verse 6. Here's the punchline. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown where? In our hearts to give what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of prepositions there. There's a lot of uh, description after description after description. But if we're asking the question, what is this light? According to verse 6, it's the knowledge of the glory of God which is in the face of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for just a little bit. When the Bible is talking about light, 
It's talking about that which allows us to see. Okay? And according to Paul, that which really allows us to see is the glory of God, knowing the glory of God. And ultimately, that glory is really his character. His character. And particularly, that character is found where? According to the last part of verse 6, it's found where? In the face of Jesus Christ. This is really interesting to me, because when you think about the value of a face, (laughs) not face value, we're talking about the value of a face. The face is really the most expressive part of our being. You know what I'm talking about? Like we have phrases like, oh, you can see it in his face. It's written all over his face, right? Why? Because the face is that which communicates uh, almost the window to our soul. Like, oh, hey, how does this outfit look on me? Great. (laughs) It's in my, right? Okay, it's not just what I say, but it's, it's the expression of our face. And it's in the face of Jesus that we have the knowledge of the glory of God. Faith. I mean, you think about the value of the face, that's why, you know, things like Facebook and FaceTime, these are things that are supposed to help us keep in touch with people, help us, you know, keep that communication open. But when it comes to having FaceTime with God Most High, wow, that is of an age long gone. Pre-fall, right? In Eden, before, before Adam and Eve went to the voting booth and said, I'd rather be my own God, right? They had face time with the living God. They could see his face, who he really was. And ever since, sin has been introduced. According to Isaiah 59, verse 2, our sins have hidden his face from us. And that has been Satan's scheme all along. Think about it. Lucifer Uh, when he, you know, he literally, he was face to face with God, and yet he rebelled against it, and since then he has been cloaking the face of God. He's been separating us from the face of God. He's been hiding us from truly knowing God. That has been Satan's scheme from the beginning, because if there's no face, there's no knowledge. If there's no knowledge, there's no light. If there's no light, there's no life. But Paul's message here, he's saying, hey, you remember that time when everything was dark at creation? And then God said, let there be light. You remember that time? Well, God is doing it again at new creation. And he's doing it in our hearts. How? Enter Jesus. The face of Jesus. And that is revealing the light of the glory of God. Of God. Am I using too many metaphors here, or are we following this okay? In other words, when Jesus comes upon the scene, you and I have a chance to know God. You and I can see the light that shines from the face of Jesus. But what's crazy, and what's, yeah, I'll just say crazy to me, (laughs) is in verse 7, we actually have a part in this. Look at this, verse 7, it says this, But we, but who? But we, but we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? Apparently, it's the treasure of knowing God, that glorious treasure. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
Maybe you've got another version that says the jars of clay, just, just clay pots. We have this glorious thing. I mean, if you have a treasure, you don't just find some dingy little thing to put it in, but this is what God does. <laughs> the knowledge of the glory of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Apparently, we play a part in bearing this light of the knowledge of God to the world. Not that we are the light, but that we bear the light. Are we following today, yes or no? So when we're called the light of the world, it's a high calling. It's a calling to demonstrate and reveal the character of God in our thoroughly converted and totally committed lives. Just kind of bringing everything together from the past two weeks. We are called to reveal Jesus. And this is more than just about uh, reporting about Jesus. This is more than just about having a certain list of, uh, of texts and information to share about Jesus. This is more about information. This is, this is not just information transmission. Although that is included, it is about information revelation. Okay? It's about demonstrating who God is. That childhood uh, experience, it's show and tell, okay? It's show and tell. So not, again, not that we are the light, but that we bear this light. Not that we are Jesus, not that we are the glory of God, but that we bear this to the world. Say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Now the new question, how do we become light bearers? How do we become these clay pots in which this treasure is deposited and entrusted? How does that happen? Go with me just a few verses earlier to chapter 3, the very last verse of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 18, and this is a verse that when I was uh, just beginning to, when the light bulbs were just beginning to turn on in my mind, this verse significantly impacted the direction of my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Have your eyes found it? All right, chapter 3, verse 18. How do we become revealers of the character of God? Here it is, verse 18. The Bible says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the what? The same image from glory to glory, just as by who? The Spirit of the Lord. Now, maybe your version says, but we all reflecting the glory of the Lord. Now, that word where New King James says, beholding as in a mirror, maybe the NIV or other versions say, reflecting the glory of the Lord. Uh, that, that word, that verb right there, that participle is actually, this is the only time it ever appears in New Testament scripture. Right here. And it's talking, uh, I guess you could say, the, the verb is talking about mirroring. Whereas some versions say, okay, we reflect the glory I think it's actually talking about using a mirror. That's why the, the New King James, ESV, etc. says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we're looking into God's glory just as we would look into a mirror. Now, depending on your grooming habits, that may uh, have different meaning for some of us, okay? Maybe you're, you're one of those, those uh, who have a very quick morning routine. Wash your face, look up, I'm good to go. Whew, you know? <laughs> or maybe you've got a, a several-hour routine or something like that. So looking into a mirror is a little bit of a more enduring process, right? Uh, maybe enduring isn't the right word. <laughs> Endearing, we'll say that. 
Okay, but here's the point. Beholding as in a mirror. Now, in Paul's day, in Paul's day, mirrors weren't as uh, clear and crisp as we have modern mirrors today. You know, we can look at a mirror, we can catch the, the, the details of, of what's there reflected to us. But in Paul's day, mirrors, they were just basically polished metal. Okay, polished metal. So when you're looking, say, into the back of your phone or something like that, and you're trying to figure out if you've got it all together, it's going to take you a little bit longer to really see the outlines, to see the details. So it's going to take clarifying and re-clarifying. It's going to take focus. It's going to take time. And so when Paul is saying, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, he's saying, look, you, you see the knowledge of God right here, the glory of his character? When you're beholding it steadily, habitually, intently, you are being transformed into the same image. That word transform, it's metamorpho. That's metamorphosis. That's the word that we get for, you know, the, the whole caterpillar to butterfly thing. Complete change of the nature. Now for, oh, that's ridiculous to me. <laughs> that this natural can become partakers of the divine nature. And how? By beholding. That's the kicker. It's as we behold who God is. As we behold who God is, aka the face of Jesus Christ, that we are metamorphosized into the very same image. Right? Last time we talked about cutting hands off and arms off and, you know, things like that. No, no, it's not about what we do, but it's about who he is. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, just as, the son, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and said, look and live, when we look upon Jesus, we can look and live. Now that's, that's amazing. And that's the work of the Spirit of the Lord, according to this verse. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory. So as we behold God's glory, the Spirit works a miracle. <laughs> it's the miracle of transformation. Talk about the face of change. That's the face of change. Friends, do you know that you and I need FaceTime? Without that FaceTime, we'll never experience the transformation that God has in store. It's beholding, gazing, looking upon the character of who God is that actually rubs off on us. <laughs> You've hung out with certain friends, and you, you're, you're noticing how they talk, and it, you don't even know it, but they're rubbing off on you. By beholding, we become changed. That's what my eighth grade teacher told me long ago. And it's so true. I've shared this with uh, youth groups in the past that I, I used to watch this cartoon that my dad made me stop watching. <laughs> it was called Thundercats. I don't know how many of you remember that. Anyways, it was called Thundercats. He made me stop watching it because one day I apparently lashed out and scratched my brother. <laughs> that was my go-to because it was what I was beholding. I was becoming changed. I mean, that's just a simple, silly analogy, but, but you understand, when we behold Jesus, guess who you become like? Yeah. Jesus. What in the world? 
And that's by the Spirit of the Lord. So we become reflectors of God's glory as we become beholders of God's glory. Only when we steadily gaze upon Jesus. That's a picture of communion. That's a picture of intimacy. That's a picture of righteousness by faith. (laughs) So, the only way to bear God's light is to behold God's light. Did you catch it? The only way to bear God's light is to behold God's light. So if you want to be contagious, write it down. Be in communion with Jesus. If you want to be contagious, be in communion with Jesus. I think of the story of Moses. Actually, uh, Paul, when he's writing 2 Corinthians 3, he's actually using that experience of Moses. Do you remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel, when they came to Mount Sinai, God said, hey, Moses, I want to talk with you. (laughs) And Moses, 80 plus years old, is a mountain climber. He climbs up Mount Sinai and he beholds the glory of God. Do you know how many times, by the way, Moses made that trek up and down, up and down, up and down? It was actually seven. Seven times. And at various times, he would go without food and water 40 days straight. Why? Because he was beholding the glory of God. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the story goes, actually, let's go there very quickly. Exodus chapter 33 and 34 is where that story is. Exodus chapter 33 and 34, I think we're actually going to focus in on verse, excuse me, chapter 34, verse 34. And as Moses was having this conversation with God, you know, the children of Israel had just blown it big time on one of Moses' many trips up to Mount Sinai. Uh, They had gone into idolatry. They made a golden calf. And Aaron, actually, Moses' brother, was part of it. Uh, when Moses asked them, hey, what happened? Aaron says, they just melted their stuff and out came this golden calf. <laughs> wow. Moses goes to talk with God about it. He's praying, pleading, Lord, forgive them. What are the nations going to say if you wipe them out now? He's more concerned about God's glory than, than his own. He said, Lord, 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 if you're going to take them out, then wipe my name out of the book of life too. Wow. Moses, this is how Moses is after communion with God, right? And in one of those instances where he's talking to God in chapter 33, verse 18, he actually, after having made trip trip after trip, seeing the glory of God, he actually says, Lord, show me your glory. What are you talking about? He's already seen his glory. (laughs) No, Moses says, I want more. I want to see you more. Show me your glory. And God says, look, you can't see my face because if anybody sees my face, they won't live. So I'll hide you in the cleft of this rock. I'll put my hand upon you, and then I'll proclaim my name, my character, the Lord, the Lord God, who is long-suffering, gracious, compassionate, etc., etc. So you read that story in chapter 34, and notice with me the impact this had on Moses and therefore the people that he served. Chapter 34, the very end of it, says in verse 29, Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his, what? Face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Can you imagine this? After his seventh trip to see the glory of God, he's coming down and his face is shining. Verse 30 Excuse me, verse 31, Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. 
Let's skip down to verse 34. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. So Moses had accommodated the people who were just kind of afraid of his shining face. So, okay, I'll, I'll just put a veil on whenever I'm hanging out with you guys. But when I go to the Lord, I, unveiled face, unveiled face. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 is talking about. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He's talking about entering into the same experience that Moses had, seeing who God is. Now notice, verse 34, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. In other words, every time Moses had face time with God, the result of it was he had something to say to the people. Do you ever feel like you have no idea what to say? You ever feel like there's a question and I have no idea what I should answer? <laughs> Moses knew what he had been commanded when he had FaceTime with God. So the impact of this was what? Personal transformation. He reflected the glory of God and he had something to say about it. He was showing and telling. No wonder. No wonder that uh, when, when the, the priesthood was instructed to bless the people of God, do you remember the blessing that they were given? It's in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and on. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. You know this? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance. Same word, face. The light of his countenance upon you and be gracious. No wonder that the highlight of the, the blessing they would receive is not just grace and being kept. No, all of those things came out of God's face shining on them. As they knew and beheld God, that's how they would be blessed. That's how they would be kept. That's how they would experience all of God's favor as they held face time with the Creator. But here's the thing, it wasn't just for their blessing. It was for the blessing of others. Oh, this is radical. Okay. We've got, oh, good, we've got plenty of time. Go with me to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, this is awesome. Psalm 67, it takes this, this, uh, this prayer or this blessing and it turns it into a prayer. Psalm 67, so about halfway through the Bible. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. When you're there, say Amen. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. So here, in the, in the rhythm and the life of God's people, every time that they would come to the temple, every time a priest would come out of, of accomplishing his service, he would raise his hands and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. So in the hope of hopes of the people of God, it was always to see God's face, to see God's face. But notice here in verse, excuse me, Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, that blessing for themselves actually turns into a prayer of blessing for others. Notice. God, be merciful to us and bless us. This is verse 1, Psalm 67, verse 1. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his what? His face to shine upon us. So now it's taking the blessing and saying, look, I, I want this for myself. God, make your face shine upon me. And then notice verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the peoples. 
Connect the dots. There's a cause and effect th that, that this prayer sees. Lord, please make your face shine us, on us, not so I can just be blessed, not just so I can have grace and be kept and be guarded. No, make your face shine on me so that your way can be known on the earth. Your salvation among the peoples. That word way, that your way, your habit, your, your modus operandi, so that the earth can see how you operate. So that people can say, oh, this is how God is. Oh, this is how he transforms people's lives. Oh, this is his way of salvation as we behold the face of God. Hmm. You see, it's one thing to be convinced of our need for FaceTime. <laughs> it's one thing to be convinced of our need for spending communion where we're fixed on the character of God. But it's another thing to realize the world has a need for our time with God. Do you see the difference there? Yes, I know. Everybody knows. Read your Bible, pray every day. Okay, spend time in devotions. Yes, we know that. That's valuable for your sake, for your transformation. Amen. But do you realize that that's valuable for the world's sake? If God's face is not shining, okay, if we're taking this prayer for what it is, if God's face is not shining on us, if we don't have and hold that FaceTime habitual beholding of God, then his way is not known on the earth and his salvation not known among the peoples. Is that heavy? Are you following that? <sighs> Last verse. You ready? Last verse, Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, because Jesus himself knew this. When he was in the flesh, he was the word of God dwelling among us he put this into practice in his humanity. He knew he needed face time with God. That's why you find him so often slipping away and having solitude with God. Okay, you're in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. It's a prophecy about Jesus, what Jesus' habits would be like. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. When you're there, say amen. Okay, like I said, this is a prophecy about Jesus. But as it describes Jesus, and if we are following Jesus, then it ought to be a description of us too. Verse 4, the Bible says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. That is the tongue of someone who knows what they're doing. They're so accustomed, they're so discipled, that they've, they've found the groove, okay? The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. Wouldn't you like that kind of tongue? <laughs> that every time you encountered a soul who was dried up and needed some watering, you knew exactly what word they needed in due time. I would love to have that kind of tongue. Notice how Jesus obtained that tongue. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He, speaking of God, awakens me, speaking of Jesus. He awakens me when? Morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The only way he had the tongue of the learned is because he had the ear of the learned. That morning by morning, he, he obtained face time with his father. 
And as God's face shone upon him, then God's way would be known among the earth. Like I said, it's one thing to be convinced of our need for that face time, but it's another thing to be convinced of the world's need. The world has a need for my face time with God. The world has a need for my learned ear. If I don't, how many souls are left weary without a word? Ah, ah, I want to be the light of the world. Not because I am all great, but because God is great and I've beheld his glory. <laughs> now, this week, as far as a take-home challenge, what am I going to put into practice? How is this word going to find application in my life this week? I would say this. If you want to be contagious, hold communion with Jesus, right? And here's a specific application if you're willing to take this challenge. That each day this week, before you go to bed, you claim the promise of Isaiah 50 verse 4. I said, Lord, I know this is a prophecy about Jesus, but I'm claiming this as a promise for me that you will awaken me the coming morning and the morning after that so that I would have an ear to hear as to learn. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah? Simple prayer. This is something that I've learned to do. Um, someone showed this to me about, I guess it was 2007. I said, hey, if God could awake, wake Jesus up at the right time, don't you think he could wake you up too? <laughs> Jesus didn't have an alarm clock. Now, I'm not saying that you, you don't set an alarm. Hey, if you want to, Go for it. God is more faithful than any alarm clock. I can testify. I can testify. Seven years ago, I stopped using my alarm clock. And sometimes I've been a little bit more hurried than others. But I've trusted that God knew how much time I needed with him that day. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so there are times also I'll have to testify that I was woken up a lot earlier than I wanted to be. <laughs> And apparently God knew how much time I needed with him that day. So here it is. It boils down to, hey, look, do you want to be contagious? Hold communion with Jesus. Hold communion with Jesus. And, and just watch. Watch how. Watch how your face begins to shine. Now, I want to make a note here. Because what we're talking about as far as spending time with Jesus, this is not, how should we say this? This is not microwavable. This is not a quick fix, plug and play type of method. It's not about the quick results that you'll get out of it. It's about communion with Jesus that becomes a habit of the life. Because there's a tendency to say, oh, look, okay, okay, if I just spend time with Jesus, then I'll be effective in ministry. Okay, so here, Jesus, I'm checking this off my list. Now I better be effective in ministry now, okay? <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about about engaging communion with God for the sake of the product, but for the person. It's not about its results. It's about the process. Okay? Are, are we okay with that? Do you, do you clarify that? Okay. Because here's, here's how this message, as I was studying it this week, this is how it really challenged me. A lot of times, I will spend time with God for the sake of being effective. But that's not what God is calling me to. God is calling me first just to behold his face. Okay? And I've noticed that maybe, maybe you don't have a devotional habit right now. Maybe you don't have morning time set aside as a routine or a habit. I would encourage you to set aside that time. Claim Isaiah 50 verse 4. Maybe, however, maybe you do. 
Maybe you do have that as a habit, and you're like me, where you've had that habit, you've had that devotion, you've read your reading for that day or whatever, but you haven't even looked up at the face of Jesus. Has that ever happened? You're rushing out of the house saying, I love you to your loved one, but you haven't even looked into their eyes that day. And that's so how that happens very often where we read our reading, we do our Sabbath school study or whatever it might be for that day, and we haven't really beheld God, looked into the lines of his face, seen the very uh, intense nuances of his character. Are we following that today, or am I just kind of like, does that make sense? So when you read, reread. <laughs> and when you reread, Ask God, just like Moses, show me your glory. Make your face shine on me. And this is changing my devotional reading. Lord, Lord, okay, I, I know, okay, I get the details, I get the details, but show me you. Show me your face. And as I behold him, by and by, I become like him. Does this happen in a day? Maybe not, but it happens day by day. So, take-home challenge to claim Isaiah 50, verse 4, and to let God wake you up. And when he does, whether it's by your alarm or not, okay, when he does, ask him to show you his glory. How many of you, how many of you this week are willing to say, okay, before I go to bed tonight, and before I go to bed the next night, I'm going to pray Isaiah 50, verse 4, that God will wake me up. And when he does, I'll pray that he shows me his glory. How many are, you, are willing to take that challenge? Amen. Amen. Oh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, could it be that the world around us is waiting for a revelation of Jesus through me? Lord, I want to be faithful. We want to be faithful. Faithful light bearers, but we cannot bear something that we do not already have. God, please, bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us, not just for our sake, but so that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the peoples. Oh God, cause your face to be seen in ours. <laughs> and as we behold you, we thank you in advance for the work of the Holy Spirit to work out moment by moment and day by day a transformation of life. We thank you for your goodness and your character. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.